Evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, before I start, I want to acknowledge that we're standing on native land and to pay my respects to the past, present and future elders. Uh, my name is Chris Gordon. I'm the events manager at Readings and I'm here today to help chair this wonderful session that's been put on by the wonderful City Library. Can we give the City of Library a little you know, a little clap, a little applause for doing something like this. Fantastic. First of all, a little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to put your mobile phones on silent. It doesn't mean that you can't use your mobile phone, but we just don't want to hear about it. Fantastic. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what's going to happen tonight. I'm fortunate enough to be asking some very difficult questions to these people on either side who I'll introduce quite soon. But there will also be an opportunity towards the end of this session for you to ask questions. Uh, now I'm going to ask you right now to not perhaps tell your personal stories when it comes to question time. This, ladies and gentlemen, is not the time to talk about uh, perhaps a mark that you got in Grade 6 English, your disappointment with the literary world, or the time that perhaps you saw one of the panel people in a supermarket. I'm going to ask you instead to simply ask questions about writing. Are we okay with that? Excellent, excellent. So, let me introduce the panel, and then I want to find out a little about you, and then we'll get into our discussion. On this side here, hands up Lucas. We have Lucas. Lucas is the overall winner of the 2015 Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Award. Woo! We have Alan on this side. Alan is the editor of Kill Your Darlings, which is a very prestigious magazine that's been around for a while now, journal, and uh, we're delighted to have you. Here, yes, we have the very gorgeous Veronica, or Ronnie as I like to call her. She's the prize manager of the Stella Prize. Welcome. And at the very end, we have Lee Kaufman, who is a writer and a teacher. Uh, so before we get on to the sort of Lord Mayor's sort of writing awards and how they're open for different types of entries, I want to ask some audience questions. Uh, just so that we up here in the panel know a little about you. Uh, so who here has entered a competition before a writing competition? Yeah, right. Hmm, about half of you. And uh, who reckons that they could make a living from writing? <laughs> great, great. We've got some realists in the room. <laughs> Uh, who writes here every single day, including Sundays? <laughs> Some put their hands down. There's a few brave people. I'm very impressed. Very impressed. <laughs> uh, who belongs to Writers Victoria? Great. Great. Who shops at Readings? That was a trick question. <laughs> Who has studied creative writing? Yeah. Who's presently enrolled in a creative writing course? Great, great. 
okay. That all sounds pretty good. So we're going to take that knowledge, we're going to use it amongst us here in the panel when we're answering the questions. Well, not really. Uh, so I think that everyone here is asking the same question, though. I think this is why you're here. You're saying, uh, should I enter a writing competition? Does it make a difference? Uh, Lucas, does it make a difference? Yes. Could you expand <laughs> on that answer? Could you expand on the question? <laughs> Do you think that uh, entering a writing competition hones your skill as a writer? Do you think that it gives you something that perhaps if you were just operating in your own study or lounge room or bedroom that you wouldn't otherwise get? Um, yes. I've only entered the one writing competition. All which right, was so that's beginner's luck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. all luck. It was all luck. Um, but the, I imagine en entering writing competitions over and over again definitely would hone your skills. The thing that I got from it was the, the deadline. Um, so writing at home on my own or working whatever on my own and not sharing anything and not working, like only working towards my own deadlines, self-imposed deadline, deadlines, um, doesn't work that well for me. So when I found out about the competition, there wasn't too long to go until the deadline and I just... There was three and a half weeks, wasn't there? It was about four weeks. Yeah. And I only had a little idea of what, a, uh, what my story might be because um, it had to be short, a short story um, for the category I went for, um, which is v very hard for me to think of a, a short story. My ideas always expand and grow into these epic, massive things and they don't get finished. Um, so the deadline was really good to just get something done yeah. and share it as well, like put it out into the world. So definitely that made a huge difference, yes. What about you, Alan, as an editor? Do you think that uh, writing competitions make a difference for writers? I think they do. Um, the main thing, it's like you say, having a deadline and having something, a specific thing to work towards. Um, there's also, as well as having a deadline to work towards, there is also the restrictions around what you are sort of, the, the requirements of the prize. So some are more prescriptive than others saying like we want you to write a crime piece or a piece under 2,000 words or a piece that speaks to this particular topic. And, um, you know, restriction is the mother of invention in a lot of cases and so, and it can push people outside their comfort zones or it can really tap into someone's comfort zone and either way that means that either people who have those particular set of skills are going to be recognised for their skills or it means that other people who enter prizes, even if they don't win, they're trying something new to a specific and they're, and as an editor writing to, like, writing to a brief or writing to, it, get, it gets it gets you writing to specifications, whether that's a magazine's specifications or whether it's a competition's specifications or any sort of specifications, training your, training your writing to be flexible enough to work to a brief, prizes are great for that. It's a really, it's a really helpful way to learn that skill. Ronnie, what do you reckon? Writing competitions? <laughs> uh, yes, so 
I run the Stella Prize, which is um, a kind of major literary award for published writers. And uh, it's... It's For Australian women. For Australian women, yeah. Yeah. Fiction and non-fiction writers for for books. And it's $50,000 for the winner each year. And, you know, at at that scale, that can be a life-changing amount of money for a writer. Um, As we kind of jokingly said, it's very, very difficult to make a living as a writer. the off-quoted stat is, you know, the average income for a writer in Australia is about $12,000 a year. So if you're getting $50,000 in one go, that can actually be money that allows you to create more work, that allows you to um, take time off other responsibilities, to get childcare for, for women. Um, and so, you know, that amount enables people to have that independence and to have the opportunity to produce more work, as well as being, you know, an aff- affirmation of the quality uh, of the of the work that won the prize. Um, and I think you can apply that at a smaller scale to any prize that has a monetary reward as well, that it's an affirmation that, you know, your writing is valuable and that um, it's it can be creative and it can be a passion and it can be art, but it's also something that is requires work and should be valued as deserving of money. Um, so, yeah, um, in that way, I suppose... That's the value that I see there. I love that you said that, that it's deserving of money. Yeah. 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 What about you? Okay, so let me talk a little bit about the writer's ego then. <laughs> I'll sort of take from wherever um, you um, uh, stopped, Rebecca. So I think um, one of the biggest skills that a writer can have is actually to know how to manage the writing process, how to actually just keep going. And I think a competitions are fantastic for motivation. Um, because it's money is very very good, but what good about the competitions also they have long lists, they have short lists, they have runners up, so there's quite a lot of space and there are lots and lots of different competitions in Australia. I'm sorry, City of Library, you're not the only one. So, <laughs> but um, but really, it can make a big difference between becoming a writer or not. I remember when I came to Australia, um, I sort of I was already Israeli writer, I was already publishing books there, but. When I was just starting to write in English and I didn't know anybody here, any other writers, or I didn't know if I, I was sort of really convinced, particularly, not, I was less even worried about my language. I was more even worried that as a Russian Israeli migrant, I will just not have anything of interest to Australian audience to say. And I started uh, tentatively sort of feeling my way around by submitting um, stories and essays to competitions, just small competitions. I didn't have confidence for something big as this one. And um, having sort of gotten somewhere on sh- being on shortlists or having won a few competitions really made uh, me keep going. And another thing we haven't mentioned, a practical thing, is um, it's great on your CV. So once you've written your, you know, defining Australian novel or defining Australian memoir, whatever it is, and you're starting to approach publishers, all this stuff really counts. Now just while we've got you there, thank you for that. Uh, do you think, just as a hypothetical, do you think that competitions help an author or a writer get noticed? And do you think that would have more impact than, say, getting a published opinion piece in a local paper or in a journal? What, what, what do you think would have the most impact? Being a sort of a newcomer into the... You're not anymore, but at the start, when you were just starting out, which, which do you think would have the most impact? I think if it's small competitions, yeah. uh, like the kind I used to win, <laughs> which you know pay you $100 for your uh, first prize, they don't have a big impact in terms of getting noticed, even if you win lots of them. 
Yeah. But that's why I stopped doing it after a year or two. However, um, what it does do is give the courage to sort of just keep going. Yeah. But when it's major competitions such as uh, Lord Mayor Award or Stella, of course, or anything else, I think it definitely, definitely makes a huge difference. And in fact, I know quite a few authors. I have a lot of friends who are writers, and I teach lots of writers in, uh, in Australia. And I heard quite a few stories from people who um, won or came second or something like this in a competition and were approached by publishers and uh, ended up with a book contract. In fact, I think, uh, I said to Chris that I'll mention this today, but I think apart from uh, writing competitions, in some ways, actually, even more importantly, is to apply to different residencies, fellowships uh, for writers. There are so many really fantastic opportunities. And one of the best things that you can do if you get things like a hot desk fellowship, for example, at Wheeler Center or residency at Varuna, which is all the same like writing competition, same thing, you send in your work and you hope to get, you know, to get a place and maybe some monetary um, advantage as well. But if you sort of get to places like Hot Desk Fellowship or Varuna, you also get the benefit of actually entering a really high uh, quality community of writers and that can be priceless later when you're looking for publication as well as friendships, of course. Ronnie, do you think that's right? I mean, when you're sort of entering into the world of the literary sort of world of Melbourne, do you think that uh, winning these sort of fellowships, and I think that's a very good point, Lee, uh, or just having opinion pieces published or reviews published, what do you think would make the biggest impact on your experience? Um, I think they're both really important in different ways, and. Fiction is a kind of different beast to non-fiction. Um, there are comparatively quite few places to have fiction published in Australia. So, you know, there are literary journals like Kill Your Darlings and... Um, but, but competitions, in a way, are one of... You're probably more likely to have more people winning competitions or being shortlisted and longlisted for competitions than having fiction published and paid for in places that are going to catch publishers' eyes. Um, and... It's tough as well because everyone wants to write fiction and so there's, you know, I remember working at Kill Your Darlings as I did previously as well. You get a lot of fiction submissions and you have very few spots. So in that way, entering prizes with fiction can actually be, um, you can have a bit more of a chance of being noticed. And I completely agree with Lee. Like, um, I, I know publishers who scour the long list, short list and winners of prizes um, and, and contact the writers and seek them out and say, hey, you know, you've won this prize, do you have anything longer to show me? Do you have anything in the works? Um, but, uh, you know, having pieces published in online or in um, printed journals, magazines, newspapers is also really amazing. Uh, it's just that there's so much of that, I suppose, that it's harder for publishers to keep up with and to constantly be, um, you know, reading everything that's in the newspaper every day. So, I, you know, none of it hurts. All of it helps. Um, it's just slightly different ways for each one. Yeah. Alan, what do you reckon? I mean, you're there sitting in the uh, Kill Your Darlings office and, uh, as Ronnie says, you're probably inundated with fiction pieces. You are someone that writes reviews yourself. How, how do you get noticed? Which is going to work better for you? I mean, well, luckily, luckily we have a fiction editor who um, looks after fiction submissions. But in terms, of, in terms of publication history or prize... It's a chicken and egg situation because the more you the more you get your writing out there, the better your writing is going to get. So the better chance you're going to be when it comes time to enter a prize. The more prizes you 
enter or are shortlisted for or, you know, if you're lucky enough to win, then the more chance you're going to have to have your to have your work published. So it's it's not a it's not an either or situation at all. Yeah, like like Ronnie said, it all helps. Um, and but I mean, it definitely does. You know, if someone if I'm get if I have an inbox full of you know full of twenty pitches, um, and one of them says, "I won the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Award," or "I won the um, the uh, Feminazi Residency," or "I won a um, or was shortlisted for X Y Z Prize," then it's then it's something I'm going to spend a little more time looking at. Um, so it does. It gives you a bit of an edge. It's a it's a shortcut to it's a shortcut to to standing out essentially. Yeah. And you know, obvi- obviously, it's not it's not the be all and end all because a strong pitch is a strong pitch regardless of how many how many sort of prizes or uh, publications you can you can list. But but it's a you know if you're skimming through your if you're skimming through your submissions inbox and someone says. Hey, I've won, or or it's a name that you recognise from a from a shortlist as having won a won a prize, then it's it 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 helps. Yeah, it all helps. Lucas, what about you? Once since you've won the Creative Writing Award, what what's happened since then for you? Um, not much. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is this is good to know. Yeah, it is. Like, I think if you want to make a career out of it, um, you would have to keep keep applying all the yeah. time yeah um so like it's it's fantastic like winning was amazing and it's fantastic but it afterwards it doesn't guarantee anything yeah um and so i just sort of went back to work and uh and working on um the so my my comic that i that i won the prize with um at the end of last year i was thinking about it again and like i was saying before my ideas always grow and expand, and um, so I'm now working on a longer story, like exploring that world yeah. um, and the characters, and extending that story and, and making a bigger comic from that. Um, yeah. Just while I've got you with the microphone there, I know that one of the uh, the great things that everybody has said here is that one of the importance about entering competitions is that you it gets you used to deadlines. And I know that you work very hard to make that sort of deadline and to turn around your piece. Are there any tips that you could give this terrific audience here about uh, organising your work so that those deadlines don't seem so fraught? Um, Did you learn from experience at all, Lucas? Yes, uh, I could have planned better. Yeah. Um, so when I found out about the competition, it was about a, a month to go to until the deadline and then... Once I sort of worked out what the story was going to be, I then had basically three weeks to draw to draw it, to write and draw it, and um, and there were just there were certain things as I was going like oh, I could have planned this better to to cut down on on time because you don't want to have to it's like 131 pictures or something it's a lot. I had to draw a bit less than that, um, and I was working out you know like I need to do this many pictures per day but that you know you can't have any mistakes because if you redraw something that's another thing so um just planning um and and also like i was getting towards the the end i was still 
drawing on the last day that it was due. Oh, just, just nervous for you, just hearing this. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's relive it. So on the last day, I was still drawing pictures for the last page, and. Um, there's this sequence where uh, the composer, the character, was going to, goes outside and, and sits outside and is composing and it becomes nighttime. I was just going to draw it, put it in the computer and darken gradually, yep. getting darker to represent nighttime, on Photoshop and it looked disgusting. It was just awful. And I didn't have any time to redo anything. And it was like the... the it's ticking, I still have to print it out, and you know how reliable printers are when you need them at a deadline. Um, so I was very nervous. And then just fixed that problem with like one bit of dialogue, just a couple panels later where the character says, oh, I was up all night doing this. I'm like, okay, that's sorted. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but I was very, I was worried, I was gonna quit, I was gonna give up, because I'd been working so hard for three weeks so long, I was exhausted, I was tired, I was feeling sick that I was just going to quit because I didn't know I was going to make it. And I said, no, it's not over until the time's up. Yeah, that's right. So don't stop until time's up or until you've handed it in. And You're reminding me of uh, all those students that are handing in thesis and things like that. It's that sort of story, isn't it? That hmm. well, yeah. the, And the thing about the graphic short story category Everyone else gets to submit digitally, but the graphic people have to hand in a hard copy. So you've there was that extra that time. time. Sorry, yeah, you've got to allow time for that. Yeah, to drive to you know get into uh, North Melbourne Library where I handed it in. Um, yeah. So even though you so, said, oh, sorry, I was just going to say my point is don't give up until <laughs> time until it's too late. Like just keep going. Yeah. We've still got some time. Keep going. So even though you say, Lucas, that not much has happened since you've won the award, uh, already it seems to me that something has happened. I mean, you're thinking about expanding the story, you're sitting here on the panel. Yep. Yeah. Perhaps without, yes. without the win, you wouldn't have thought about expanding your beautiful composer book. No, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here. Um, <laughs> no, and uh, what I was going to say, uh, just to what you are saying before, is... Um, if you're, while you're entering, if you enter a competition and you're writing something new for a competition um, and, you, and you don't win, you've at least got a piece, you've got a new piece that you can rework. Um, and if you, if you don't win and you don't like the piece, you've been writing, like you've been, you've been honing your skill. Yeah. So you've, there's no, you've got nothing to lose. Um, not even time, because you're working at your your craft. Um, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I think you're right. Alan, over back to you, Alan. Uh, just have, have you judged many writing competitions before? Um, I've judged... Well, I've, I've... I've judged one competition, which was the, um, the Kill Your Darling's New Critic Award at the beginning yeah. of the year, yeah. uh, which wasn't specifically a writing competition in the sense that it wasn't... Um, completed pieces weren't submitted. It was, um, the whole thing was done on the strength of pitches. Um, and yeah, it was a really interesting experience because because we were essentially judging on, we were judging on the, cr on ideas. Ideas and potential, yeah. yeah. And How many people applied for a, 
to that competition? Oh, gosh. Um, I want to say may between 150 and 200 yeah. it was that was it was a while ago now i know the unpublished manuscript award that we just awarded the we just awarded last week i think yeah. it was um that got 235 entries that's a, lot, a little it? bit fresher yeah 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 <laughs> probably probably 225 of which came in the last 24 hours but um. <laughs> just those deadlines just that tick tocking again yeah. um alan so what do you think in the end helped the people that were in that sort of long list or short list that towards the end what what made their work stand out more um i can't speak to the unpublished manuscript award obviously but no, um for your critics award yeah um was it as basic as presentation or it was it it, it wasn't just presentation but yeah. it wasn't not presentation um yeah. it was it was the strength of uh, so the the criteria for the New Critics Award was that you had to basically pitch three pieces that you would write as part of this um, ongoing sort of column with Kill Your Darlings. And so the winner was the winner was Stephanie Eslake, who's a classical music critic from Tasmania. And so she and and so the pieces that she pitched, um, I can't remember the, exactly what all three of them were, but, but some of them were evolving around, um, you know, the, the art music um, program at Mona and yeah. things like that. And so... And some innovative stuff. Some innovative stuff, yeah, yeah. Some stuff that basically speaks about classical music and art music in relation to the broader culture, which I think is so often kind of separate from, you know, classical music, whether it's... Done, whether they do it themselves or whether it's we sort of... or whether it's like a kind of class thing, I don't know, but mm. but it's so often talked about in a separate little bubble to the rest of kind of like popular culture, I guess. Yeah. And so trying to kind of, yeah, basically her pitch was bringing that into the broader discussion and so that was really appealing. So is that an original idea? That's Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. And there, was, there were lots of really original ideas and um, some of them were talking about really um, interesting kind of areas of criticism that aren't necessarily, you know, there were some really strong dance criticism um, pieces and some really strong visual art criticism pitches and stuff like that. And it was just sort of trying to basically decide what was going to be the most interesting to read about, the most interesting um, for us to, to work with yeah. on an ongoing basis. So yeah, it was interesting. Uh, what about you, Ronnie? I mean, it's quite different when we talk about the Stella Prize. I mean, because these people have had their books published. It's open. The publishers often put forward the books. Uh, you're not one of the judges on the, uh, the Stella Prize, but you do manage them. Do you know what they're looking for? Yeah, so we have uh, three criteria for the prize, which are that the winning book must be excellent, original and engaging. And that's pretty big, broad, broad strokes, we would say, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think it does. It sounds quite broad when you sort of say that because, of course, a winning book is going to be excellent. Yeah, you kind of want to go, duh. Duh, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, they're already judging fiction and non-fiction and, and the works are all going to be so different and I think that probably applies to any prize, really. Like, you're not going to get entries that are all exactly the same and there's one that's clearly just better written than all the other entries on the same topic. So... Um, I imagine that the Lord Mayors and, and most prizes have, they have criteria, they might have um, several different criteria and they might mark, you know, out of five each one and, and see 
you know, what has the overall, um, fits, the close, fits those criteria most closely. And every judging panel or judge is going to interpret criteria differently. Um, you know, writing is such an amorphous thing and it's always going to be subjective and I think that's a really good thing to remember as well, that yeah. there's no, like, definitive best and if you don't win it doesn't mean that yours, someone else might not have chosen it, which might be a small comfort because you would rather have won. But um, it's, it's good to kind of keep that in perspective, I think, as well. Uh, and, yeah, and just to bear in mind that if, if those criteria are published in the entry call-out... Uh, and this probably applies more to non-fiction than to fiction, but um, just being really mindful of giving yourself every advantage you can within the parameters of whatever you're entering uh, and, you know, reading the entry processes really closely. Uh, this is, like, slightly less creative, I suppose, but um, you mentioned presentation, you know, being sure to submit things in the correct... If they say we want Times New Roman 12-point font, doing what they ask for... Um, because if you don't do it... It's a really quick way to disqualify yourself. Exactly. It's a, it's a really quick way to just disqualify yourself if you just don't follow the basics. Like, yeah. like you know, you might think, oh, it doesn't really matter if it's, like, a different font or it doesn't really matter if it's, you know, two pages when they only asked for one page and f uh, font maybe, but if you're, splitting, if you're splitting hairs, which is what judging prizes sometimes come down to, mm -hmm. then it'd be like... Well, they didn't follow one of the clearly stipulated rules. So, yeah, if if it asks for a if it asks for a section to be a particular length, mm. keep it to the length. Don't don't push your luck. Essentially. No, I think it's good. And what about filling out the application for to enter the Stella Prize? I mean, that's yeah, well, same thing really. I mean, yeah, be like you know, reading instructions carefully, um, because. For Stella and for many other prizes, there's a lot of entries. And first of all, you don't want to waste your time entering something that you're not eligible for. So when people enter their poetry collections and, you know, <laughs> the entry period closes and the books come in and we're going through sorting them and we go, this is a poetry collection and that's not eligible for the prize, you can waste your own time and your own money doing that. Um, and so the onus is on you to find the things that fit your skills or your work or your folio uh, and give yourself the best advantage in every possible way when you're applying for whatever it might be. Lee, you've been successful in many competitions. Uh, was there sort of some strict rules that you followed in terms of your success rate? I mean, it was quite high, wasn't it? You've won a lot. <laughs> Actually, you've won a lot of awards. <laughs> Thank you. I, I am happy to answer this, but I will be more interested to an, in, in, if you don't mind, talking actually about my experience as a judge, because I think yeah. I can contribute much more there. Uh, fantastic. Okay. So, um, so I judged quite a few competitions uh, in poetry, in creative nonfiction, in uh, fiction, and I also sat on Verona Fellowship uh, panel for a few years um, and did some other journals. And the reason I'm saying all this is not to talk myself up, <laughs> but just to say that every time I did anything, any of those gigs, I just noticed time after time what actually can stand out and what actually can have the best chance. So in Australia, in my observation, uh, there are lots and lots of really, uh, there are many, many good prose writers. Lots of pieces are floating around with really competent writing. And yet, uh, not everybody wins the prizes. So what actually really cuts the edge, what makes the work uh, shine and get prizes usually, 
is the urgency of the work. So it's not actually, I mean, uh, don't misunderstand me. I think crafted prose, polished prose is important, but it's not, it, it sucks. It just on its own, it's absolutely insufficient. You, there are, what, what usually the judge competitions want, at least I want, but also, you know, when I did judgment with fellow judges, we sort of all looked for the same thing, is to feel the passion of the writer come through. Now, how can this passion of the writer come through? It's a mysterious sort of thing. But you usually see it in several ways. One way is through the voice, that's the main thing. So I'm not talking about the prose, not sort of style, when you craft sentence by sentence, how many adjectives or adverbs you have. It's the, the um, uniqueness of the voice. is the level of reflection, of analysis. When I judged um, Grace Wilson competi uh, competition for Victoria Writers Center, uh, there were really lots of very sort of topical, important essays there that um, I kind of wanted to, uh, to give them the first or second or third prize because they were all sort of about needed topics. But there was not enough heart in it. And I ended up uh, giving second place, I think, to a very sort of quiet, modest essay. All it sort of told, it told the story of moving away from Melbourne to Sydney to overseas and coming back to Melbourne about this passion the, the writer had for Melbourne. But the passion was so singular. And it was, it was told with such urgency that you just could not help but give a prize to this piece. Another way to show your passion in your piece is to start the story or the memoir or whatever it is that you submit from the heart of it. You don't want the judges to meander through lengthy leading up and descriptions. Writers often is, are taught, I'm sorry if I'm taking up too much no, space, I love it. but writers are often taught to show and not tell. Now, this is bullshit, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> In a proper writing, there is plenty of room for showing, there's plenty of room for telling, and they just not work one without each other. So when I talk about show, it's about the action, that what is happening. When I'm talking about the telling, which is as important, is the analysis. It, so the, the showing is the what, what happened, and the telling is the how it happened and why, and how it affected later, wh whoever is involved. Uh, so if, you, if the story is urgent, Usually it will start straight from the heart. Uh, I think it was Annie Dillard who said, put all your accidents, deaths, weddings um, at the start of your story. And although I don't like rules at all, but this is one of the rules I will follow. <laughs> and the winning works, if you look at them one after another, if you read some winning words, and that's a very good way of sort of honing your skills before competitions into read reading works. They usually start from the heart of the story. You don't need five pages just to get through the room and, and find the body. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I can talk on and on, but that's sort of my main point. So that seems terrific. So you're saying basically just get straight to the story, get straight to the point, bang, you're in it. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't compromise yourself. Don't, don't, don't try to be politically correct. Don't try to be too sensible when you write. This is an advice, I think, any advice I can give you for competitions, really, it's about writing. I mean, just say whatever you've got to say and be, be your own, be singular, because that's what judges, that's what publishers, that's what readers are look for, for this sort of human experience, which is not like everybody else's. And we're all unique if you sort of be being honest about the experiences you describe. Lee, I mean, having been a judge myself and, and you have, have been a judge before, uh, it's true, isn't it, once you're reading many, many applicants, that unless you're grabbed in that first couple of paragraphs, totally. I mean, we do put them aside, don't we? Totally, yeah. totally. I remember being in Varun and we had, like, um, one of the years we had, I think, about 200 manuscripts to get through in a week. 
And we got through them in three days, <laughs> most of us. Yeah. <laughs> because you just know, you just know from the first paragraph, usually, sometimes from the first page. I, I don't remember have needed being needing to read more than maybe three pages maximum to know if the writer can write or not. It's the, the very, very sort of short, the very, very sort of um, final decisions are very tough, but to do the initial long list or short list, very quickly. It is yeah. very you quick, can, isn't it? Know. It's actually yeah. kind of scary if you get a group of judges together how quickly you can uh, go, go through a pile. And just one last thing that I'll say and then I'll shut yeah. up. Just some, no, I'll just, don't shut um, up. <laughs> Veronica said something very good. You know, you were talking about how important it is not to, to remember that judges are subjective. Yeah. So I'll just tell you very briefly a story. Um, some years ago when I was still entering competitions myself, I submitted a story to five competitions at least, small, not major ones, didn't get anywhere, not even shortlisted. And a year later, I had this story in uh, Best Australian Stories and Overseas and American Publications. So don't sort of think that if your work didn't, um, you didn't win. I really agree with what, Lucas, you were saying, but it's yeah. you've written. It's so, so fantastic to do, just to have written, and you've got the work, and then just to keep going with it. And, you, and you've got a product. You've got a finished product. Yeah, that seems very important to me. Uh, Ronnie, what do you think about uh, the sort of literary world? How, how would you describe it? And is it sort of a place where, as a newcomer or, a, if you like, let me use that very harsh word, outsider, can you call on people for advice? What do you, what, if you're entering competitions or you want to get into this world, mm. is yes. the literary world... Are we kind? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the literary world is so kind and, you know, not. I'm, I'm quite young and I'm, I have only been in the literary world for like maybe five years and so I very, very well remember being completely terrified of it and feeling that it was a very impenetrable clique um, and something that I have maybe heard said or maybe I've just said it so many times that I think it's a quote is that, you know, what looks like a clique from the outside is a community once you're inside it. And that those both of those things can actually be true at the same time. It's very easy when you're inside to be like, oh, everyone's so friendly. And it's very easy when you're outside to feel that it's really difficult to get in there and, and meet people. But I have overwhelmingly found that um, people in the writing community, because it is, you know, <laughs> I hate to keep going on about this, but it's not a particularly lucrative industry. And so people are there because they're passionate and because they love it. They're not there to make money and cut throats and stuff. So, you know, everyone's there because they're passionate about the same thing and they're passionate about creativity and about the art of writing, um, which means that you already have common ground and you already have a point of connectivity. Uh, and I would say that it's, you know, the vast majority of people, if you reach out to them, uh, and, you know, ask if you can have a coffee with them or ask if you can pick their brains, uh, are, are very likely to respond affirmatively. And obviously that depends. And, you know, if you go straight to the um, seller prize winner or, you know, someone who's really busy and really successful, they might not have time. But there are a lot of people who are working away in the industry and supporting each other um, who are all, you know, in touch with what it's like to be emerging or to be sort of starting out in your career um, and, and very likely to have time for other people. And there are also um, sort of formalised ways of doing that as well. So things like Writers Victoria, um, literary journals, you know, have lots of events and all of those kinds of 
ways of connecting with other writers. Um, you know, you go to half a dozen of those things and suddenly, boom, there's your community and it's no longer a clique because you recognise the faces and they recognise you. How did you sort of break into the field? Um, well, I uh, my like break my big break was being a digital reporter for the Melbourne Writers Festival. I just had a had a blog that no one read that I had started after that's I. Not, that's not actually true. No, <laughs> well, I'd finished a, a um, creative writing Bachelor of Arts and didn't make many friends in that degree and didn't really come out of it with any publications and felt quite like what what am I doing I have a creative writing degree that's probably the most useless thing ever um you know career-wise and and so I, I was like I'll start a, a blog BA is actually <laughs> <laughs> all the kids are doing this so I started a blog and then Melbourne Writers Festival had a, a call out which they, they've done again this year and they had a couple of bloggers go to the festival interview writers free tickets to all the sessions and I was like this is what an amazing, amazing gig. And then through that, I met all these people just from being at this festival. And it wasn't the uh, writers on stage that I was meeting. It was the other attendees. It was the fellow bloggers that were doing this program with me. It was going to drinks put on by Kill Your Darlings and other, you know, organisations. And so from that, <laughs> you know, from that, I actually got offered a job at Kill Your Darlings, a literary journal, uh, unpaid, as most, um, you know, entry-level literary journal jobs are but so you know from that flowed the social kind of entry point and meeting people and also a buttload of professional opportunities that yeah so I can I can track it really easily to that point because before that I felt like petrified and then that festival was just like mind you know a brain explosion for me. What about you Alan do you have you found the literary world sort of kind welcoming arms open type of place to be in? Yeah, by and large, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of... I can't think of any... of people being anything but welcoming. Um, and, and, you know, like, I, I was terrified when I first came down here and it does take time and you've got to sort of... You're from Newcastle? Brisbane. Brisbane. Well, essentially Brisbane, yeah. Yeah, um, Brisbane. And, and like Ronnie was saying, writers' festivals, like, my sort of... I can trace my, you know, start in the literary community back to volunteering at the Brisbane Writers Festival um, and you know uh, I was in a similar situation I'd done a creative writing degree like um, at uni on the Gold Coast um, and where there is not much of a literary community like there there is a little group and they are very sort of um, tight-knit but but in terms of the wider literary community it was volunteering at the Brisbane Writers Festival um, just being there sort of all day with other volunteers who are also people involved in the literary community, um, you know, make, seeing, seeing, seeing writers being just around that sort of environment. Um, and then so that when I eventually moved down here, there were people that, you know, you only need to vaguely know of one person to yeah. go up to them at an event at, at readings, like there's an event on at readings every other night. There's really stuff is. here. There's writers festivals out the wazoo. That you just, you know, you just go up to one familiar face and and strike up a chat, and then they'll introduce you to someone else, and then you're suddenly at a you're suddenly a part of a community, and it's really and and it's a very welcoming community. It can it can seem impenetrable from the outside because, you know, everyone knows each other and you don't, but. You only need to, you only need to recognise one familiar face, and then and everyone's and everyone's lovely. 
Lucas, what about you? Have you been attending sort of literary events or going to the festivals or uh, thinking about studying graphic novels at Melbourne Uni? Nope. Nope. <coughs> um, but but my, now? <laughs> my, <laughs> yes, from now. Um, but in my very limited experience, um, just meeting a couple of the judges uh, for um, the, my category um, and like that, you know, very warm, friendly, welcoming, mm. let's catch up, what are you working on? Um, and, and, and even at the awards night, just uh, mingling with people there, all lovely, wonderful people. Um, and uh, last year I went to the, the one thing I did go to was the, the Ledger Awards, which are um, the awards for Australian comics. Um, and the sense of community there is like a few familiar faces, but everyone knows each other and uh, it's very tight. To the each graphic other. sort of novel community in yeah, and in it's Melbourne. great. Like yeah, this, they're I mean, they're great. Great talented people in Melbourne, um, and uh, the one of the judges, Bernard Kaleo, was uh, honoured with a sort of lifetime achievement type award, and uh, you know everyone was just thrilled for him, and um, yeah. he didn't know what was happening, so I had just gone along, and he was there. <laughs> And given this award, um, it was just it was beautiful. So well, very welcoming, yeah. It is. One of the reasons that I uh, have asked you all that sort of question is because uh, it is kind of important to have your name known. I mean, all of these people here have judged different things before, uh, except for Lucas. And, and, you know, if you do recognise a name, you do actually look again, don't you, in that way in the competitions and you do say, OK, I remember this person and... And I think it can make a difference. The Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Awards is anonymous, though, so the judges yeah. don't. Oh, know. I mean, at the awards afterwards. Oh, yeah, sorry. if you come yeah, to these, yeah. if you come Just to these sort of events, and yes, yeah. So they are judged on yeah, the, right. the merit of the yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I just want to start finishing up because I want to leave enough time for the audience to ask questions, but I think that my I just want to know the top tips your top three tips for anyone that is interested in entering a writing competition. What would you say? Go. I would say passion um, and to, like be true to yourself and be true to your story so that the, it's authentic. Yeah. So it's it maybe passion, not technically brilliant or whatever, but the, pa the passion's there. There's so many little mistakes in my comic, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but, you know, being the perfectionist that I am, uh, that's what I noticed, but you know, it, it won. Um, the, so the passion and the honesty, yeah, and honesty, put integrity. That, put that into your work. You stand out. Perfect. And what's your top three tips? Um, top three tips. Follow the rules. Um, that's good. <laughs> that's follow the rules. Follow the rules. Follow the rules. Um, no, follow the rules. Um, don't half-ass it. Like, put put your best put your best work forward because it's it's it, it's all valuable. Like, if it's even if even if you don't win, it's good work that you're producing. And don't be discouraged because there's a million and one reasons why something might not win um, that don't come down to just that aren't a that aren't a judgment on you or your work. There's a million. There's so many different factors at play that it's none. It's not personal. 
Uh, I think paying attention to detail and to everything, so just, you know, not disadvantaging yourself, um, knowing what you're applying for, entering, and why you're applying it, and having a sense of purpose, which will mean that you're not just applying for the sake of it, you're actually doing it because your work is the right fit for the, the prize. Um, and also kind of being aware and seeking out opportunities because, as I've said, there are so many prizes and fellowships and uh, amazing, amazing opportunities and not all of them are that well advertised and it's a tricky thing because where do you advertise? Um, so Writers Victoria is, you know, such an amazing resource and they have so much information available about all these opportunities um, and while there are a lot of entries, as we've heard, a lot of them are maybe not quite right. So you always, always have a shot. And the more things you can find out about, the more you're going to find that one that is the right fit for what you've got and what you're entering. So yeah, Writers Vic is um, a great place for that. And also another place I wanted to mention is a website called Writers Block, B-L-O-C. Uh, and they have a, so writersblock.com. And they have a opportunities and events kind of notice board that's really regularly updated uh, and covers international and Australian prizes, fellowships, opportunities. I think they have. I think they even have like an email newsletter of that now as well, which is which is great. Yeah, it's like a trading post for writers. It's really fantastic. Well, there were, you already said many great tips, and I sort of talked a little bit about what I think is important in competitions. But here's three more. So one, uh, try submit, to submit your most slow cooked work mm -hmm. because I think the best work is the kind of work that you had time not just to draft and redraft and redraft and redraft again because I think all writing is rewriting but also it's great to have a bit of a distance so to put the work aside and then to come back. Second tip, if you can afford it, if you know people who can help you, whose feedback you trust, try to make sure you have a few readers over what you submit, particularly, not just, but also because even sort of looking for typos and, and misspellings and everything like this, because your story can be fantastic, but judges tend to be so picky and irritable when they see sort of misspellings and things like this. Um, and the third tip is, um, Try to sort of, I, I mean, it works for me. Uh, what I used to do is I used to submit several works to several competitions and worked. And then I worked very hard to try and erase it from my memory. Mm. Because a lot of the competitions, if you don't get anywhere with them, they don't even notify you. So you sort of forgot, so your ego more or less remained intact. This seems just actually fantastic advice. And what I love is that all of you gave very different advice. Thank you so, so much. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. The first one, before we go on to you asking the questions, is this sheet. You just need to fill it out if you can for us and hand it to the wonderful organisers here at the City Library. They've provided you with a pen to do this very task. Uh, and I wanted to tell you a little about the Lord Mayor's writing, Creative Writing Award. There's uh, different categories. There's the short story, which is 1,500 to 3,000 words. There's the Dorothy Porter Award for Poets, up to 100 lines. <coughs> There's a novella. That's a lot, isn't it? A novella. Just, just submit a novella. That's 10,000 to 20,000 words. A graphic short story, up to eight A4 pages. And a narrative non-fiction 
work up to 10,000 words. I know all of this is on their website. There's also a Life Writing Award for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island writers up to 3,000 words. Each uh, winning entry gets $2,000 and then the overall winner of the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Award will win an additional $10,000. That's a significant price, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely significant. What did you do with the money, Lucas? <laughs> uh, did you sorry. spend it on your wife? Sorry, Chris. I think he spent it on his wife. I'm quite sure. Is that right? <laughs> no? Um, well, groceries, sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> she shares the groceries. Um, the, the prize money this year is double last time. Because uh, they were blown away with your entry and they thought, right, we need to up the ante. <laughs> well, if they were blown away with it, they should have given it to oh, me then. Yeah. <laughs> That does not make sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the question? <laughs> what did I spend my money on? Yeah. Uh, that's a bit personal. Um, I don't know. Just as, uh, yeah, life, life expenses. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Living. living <laughs> Just yeah. completely living. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, are there any questions for our panel? We'll start with you. And if you're okay with this, I'll repeat back the question. Okay, so this wonderful woman has said, uh, I'm an emerging writer, but I'm not 20. Uh, <laughs> welcome to, I understand your club. Uh, will that make any difference at all? I, I can't even imagine. Well, when I uh, did my Masters of Creative Writing, um, one of my fellow students, there was a woman in her 70s who was a hairdresser and she decided to change her life. She went, she did BA, and then she went enrolled into creative writing of masters. She ended up publishing her novel with a commercial publisher in Australia. Her name is Glenis Whiting, and she went on recently at AT publishing another novel. So uh, maybe that answers the question. And if you think about writers like Elizabeth Jolie, oh, that's or, exactly I mean, you can, I can give you the whole list. But I think, I think one thing, one, one thing I'll say is that you are very lucky. We are very lucky, you and I, because all of us, because with writing, I think you only get better as you age. So I think you have a, such an amazing um, wealth to draw on. So you probably will do it quicker than others. I think that's right. I think it was uh, both J. Ashley and Elizabeth Jolie didn't actually get published until they were in their 50s, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, I have a friend, uh, Josie Ann B. Morris, she's an Australian writer as well, who published her first memoir at 50, uh, and it got translated into several languages. It was with Penguin and... Yeah, I think, I think if you've got the time to be able to think it, then you've got the time to be able to do it. Does that help? Oh, Alan wants to say something? I was just going to say, like... I can remember being an emerging writer at 20 and I knew nothing. <laughs> like, I was garbage. So, so yeah, it's, that's, it's 20 year old emerging writers are no threat. <laughs> and can I, I have a 20 year old daughter and she's garbage? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 don't mean that at all. Um, I just wanted to add that often uh, people, if you're submitting things, no one knows how old you are. So, I guess in that sense, that's, you know, um, objective. But also, um, there are two festivals in Australia that are sort of for young slash emerging writers. There's the National Young Writers Festival held in Newcastle at which all the panellists are under 35 and there's the Emerging Writers Festival which has no age, you know, constrictions around it. It does tend to have younger writers there by and large but um, they actually, they really 
I think they really want to kind of move away from that and so they've had a really interesting um, event this year and last uh, focusing on, you know, that emerging at any age um, and, and what that means and kind of getting people together to have those conversations, which I think is really great. Okay, so the question here was, uh, for example, in the Victorian Unpublished Manuscript Award, the, the story needs to be set in Victoria. Is that the same for the Lord Mayor's? Uh, again, I guess that this is all about reading the stipulations and reading the rules for each competition has a different sort of criteria. Would anyone like to add to that? I just want to say quickly that Victorian Premier World it's not actually location based. It doesn't matter. Um, so, but uh, yeah, Foreign Soul by Maxine Ben Clark. Um, sorry, Maxine. Uh, Benita. Benita Clark. Sorry, Clark. Yeah, it won. It well, it's sort of international book. It moves all around the world. But Lord Mayor, I don't think so. There's no criteria. But there, there are some. I mean, the Miles Franklin has to yeah. have an Australian yeah, story. That's right. Uh, but there are some. And Dor yeah. Oh no, sorry. I was just talking about this too. But yeah, that's true. And Dorit yeah. um, Hewitt, I think yeah. it's Western Australia. Yeah. So yeah, as you're saying, just reading the guidelines. Anyone like to add anything to that? So the question was: this the subject of the story has to, is location based? Is that? Oh, okay. No, so my my comic, if you haven't read it, you can go to thecomposercomic.com. Uh, launched yesterday. Thank you. Um, uh, but it's set sort of. It's a bit vague where it's set, but basically uh, Europe, uh, Europe in the Alps. Um, so, yeah. And to the other, the mature age uh, issue. I've got a question for my mum, who's in the audience here. Um, Rosemary, how old's she? Just turned 80, just had her first book published last year, 80 years old. So, a friend of ours, yep. That's your question. Other questions? Okay, so the question, and it's a very good question, and it's to Alan, is uh, what makes a strong pitch? Um, well, I mean, this is. I mean, some some prizes are based on pitches, and some some are based on completed works. But I guess the majority of pitches that I come across are just pitching an article to a magazine. So, but basically, um, a strong pitch is something that tells me a what what the article that you're pitching actually is going to say. Um, so, sort of giving a giving a sort of strong idea of what the piece covers, not not just beating around the bush, um, and why it matters, why it matters to you. So, it's yeah, why I I'm only going to care about an idea if I can see that you care about it, and that I can see why it is important that we are talking about it. So, um, and why your why your angle on a topic is the one that we should be talking about. So that's kind of, you know, because there might be a, there might be five different 
pitches that want to talk about, um, you know, a new movie. They want to talk about Dunkirk or something like that. And, you know, f four of them might be just want to do a review of the movie. Um, and one is like, I want to talk about what it says about this particular thing that we're that is happening elsewhere in the world and why this matters to me. Um, yeah, so basically something that gives me a good idea of what the piece is actually going to say and why I should care about it. Um, I don't know if, Ronnie, you wanted to add anything to that because you've worked with pictures. I used to have them. Alan's job. So I completely agree, but like I guess the way that I would phrase it is why you're the person to write it as well, I think is really important. Like what, what your qualifications are, if you have any, not that you necessarily have to have any, but like who are you? What's your writing like? Why are you passionate about this topic? Um, yeah, but otherwise I completely, completely agree. And all the things that we said before as well, paying attention to what the submission regulations for the publication are. Like do they want pictures? Do they want no completed pieces? Don't send a completed piece if they don't take completed pieces. All those kinds of things. Um, because... You, yeah, you want to get a sense of what the finished piece will look like and you want to get a sense from the pitch that this person is like articulate, they're literate, they can spell, that they're, they know how to communicate you know, in a two-paragraph email because then you're going to be committing to them communicating over a thousand-word piece that you're going to have to work with them on and it's like you don't want to invest labour into something that's going to be really hard work. So you want yeah. them to make it seem like it's going to be as easy a process as possible. It sounds a little bit like a job uh, CV. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Just yeah. one more thing that I want to add to the pitches, just from my experience of doing pitches, those pitches that I was more successful with, where the pitches were, they showed my voice as well, the voice that I want to bring to the piece. And just further on to that question you wanted to ask. How long should a pitch be? How long should a, a pitch be? Um, as long as it needs to be, but also be concise. I know that's kind of... That I don't. That I don't mean that to sound like a cop out, but no, I mean I would say I would if it's more than sort of three paragraphs, I'm gonna start sort of skipping over things. Um, but basically, you know, a paragraph to say who you are, a paragraph to say what the piece you want to write is, what like what it's going to cover, and a piece saying kind of why it matters, why you're the person to talk about it, or why we need to be talking about it. So, yeah, if you if you if you write me an essay. I'm, you know, I'm going to start skipping over it. So, yeah, be sort of concise, but, yeah, be concise, but, you know, that's no, I'm not, yeah, as long as it needs to be, but try and be concise. So, yes. Uh, we'll have a question here and then over to you. In terms of word limits, can you be disqualified in a competition for writing too little, so writing less than the word requirement. Mm, I don't you might need so. to check with the, the specific place and I'm sure you could ask depending on what the place is, but you've got to think that um, even if it's not technically not allowed, the judges are probably going to be confused as to if there's a really clear word limit, why it was entered and it doesn't meet that word limit. Because again, it comes back to like, what are the requirements of the, the award? You can always email the competition uh, sort of administration with any question you have. Questions like this in particular, definitely. Do you? Um, they just said that 
I'm just going to repeat that question back for everyone. Uh, it's a question for Lee, and it's uh, in reference to if you enter lots of writing competitions and perhaps you have forgotten that you've entered that story before or you have entered a chapter from a book that you're working on, how dodgy is that to your reputation? Does that just say all your uh, chickens came home to hatch uh, and you found that you had won awards but it was for the same story? What would that do to your reputation? Never happened to me, and I would say it's a very, very excellent problem to have. <laughs> but I think if your problem, if if you sort of found to be unethical and you haven't written an excellent piece, I suspect you will have much more benefits from this than actually trouble. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> I mean, some prizes will say some prizes will stipulate in the terms and conditions that your entry is not to be submitted anywhere else. Um, and so if that's the case, then just, yeah, don't push your luck. But if not, go for it. Like, if it wins two prizes, then that's really good. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to say, if you're submitting for publication to multiple places, um, if you have it out to multiple places, as soon as you get an acceptance in one place, withdraw it if you're using submittable or just, like, notify the other places you've submitted to as quickly as possible. Because, um, you know, submission... Uh, timeframes can differ so differently between different publications. They might not have even looked at it yet because they're behind on their admin. Um, so it might not even be a problem, but it's just like letting them know as soon as possible. There's a question here at the back and then to you. So the, the uh, question is to Lucas and it's about... Uh, what sort of feedback did you receive from the judges about winning your award? Um, um, I, there was a there was a comment that was uh, all the all the winning pieces were posted on the library website um, after the last uh, awards, and they all they all had like a little bit of feedback for judges' comments, and there was something about. Um, how epic it was <laughs> and how def defined the characters were um, uh, that stood out to them. Um, that's all I remember from that, um, although those comments are published on the website, thecomposercomic.com. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> but I met with one of them afterwards and he was saying that um, he was lo looking at some of the other comics and there was one that he described as being it was so obviously written for this competition and to fit into the parameters of the competition and that seemed to not impress him very well. And there was an this and that one and then there was yours and it just stood out among the rest. I'm quoting someone, that's, that's what he said. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was very nice to hear. Because when he said, oh, this comic was written specifically for this competition, I was like, oh, are you talking about mine? <laughs> like, because I was following the rules. What else are you going to do? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they had some nice things to say about it. Yeah. Sir. I'm going to That's just repeat question. that question back. Uh, 
So the question was that even though we have received some advice tonight about the importance of being having taking time with your writing and revising and revising, in actual fact Lucas has flown against that type of advice. He created a piece of work in four weeks. Do you think that because of that time restraint that you that it kind of put more passion into it, that it actually allowed you to be freer in a way? Yeah, definitely freer. It definitely would be very different to, to what it turned out to be, being a perfectionist. I didn't have time to be a perfectionist with this. I just had to get it done, to get it done uh, on time. Um, so, yeah, there's a real freedom with working um, at that pace. Um, and... What was the rest of the question? Well, can I actually sorry, add to this that uh, I literally oh. know zero about comics, but um, with prose, um, I'm really, really confident that time is the best one. The passion alone will not carry you. But if, you write, mm. if you're doing comics, then it's... Um, the, the passion is, I think, what, what helped. Like, so going so hard and fast and... and this pouring that passion in, but, but I you did must have had a plan. I, I had a plan. I had um, so I'd worked out most of the story, but not the ending. And I was started to write and draw it without an ending, which I don't do because it all has to be worked out. So that was quite scary, in that sense. Um, but I so getting to that point at the end when I needed an ending, I had to slow down. So I'm like drawing fast, but I'm thinking slow to to allow the story to sort of tell me where it needs to go rather than forcing it. I didn't want to force any, anything about it, especially around the sort of emotional core of the characters because I knew that that's, if I got that right, then that's what would sell, kind of sell the story. So working fast but thinking slow within that short time I'd period. I'd buy that book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got time for one or two more questions. Yes. Okay. So this is a very interesting and, and good question. Uh, it's about whether or not. What sort of advice do you have about the cold call? Just handing in, uh, uh, perhaps. A submission to a publishing house or a journal without any competition or a, a award around it. Do you mean in terms of the the magazine sort of space, or are you talking more about a manuscript? Yeah. So how do you accept submissions? I guess. Oh, I mean, uh, pitches are open more often than they're not, um, and that's just send an email. Um, the that's, that's the non-fiction side of KYD, for instance. For the fiction side, there's a submissions portal where you submit your work, and that's open uh, more often than it's not. Um, pu publishers, I think, it is a different situation where you're more yes. likely to have success with an agent or yeah. rather than just cold submissions. But magazines is open to all comers. So, uh, you know, on most of the publishing websites, there will be... You know, there will be some sort of link that will explain what they want. Mainly that they will get their submissions though from through an agent. And so, if you go onto some of the agent websites, they'll also tell you what they're looking for as well. Lee wants to add something. I can feel it. 
<laughs> I'm sorry to be a devil's advocate, but I think in today's book market, actually, if you haven't written uh, the next sort of uh, science fiction bestseller or young adult novel, you know, the kind of books that sell in masses, if you're submitting to publisher, you, it's sometimes harder to get an agent than to get a publishing contract, actually. And at the moment when the industry is so sort of struggling financially, quite a few publishers actually don't, um, actually happy to, to receive submissions without agents because then they know they will give you less good deal. <laughs> but they're working for the contract. So that's the sort of the reality we're at the moment coming against. So by all means, I think it's, uh, there's more, there are small advances at the moment, but much more, many more openings. So an advance, uh, do people know sort of the average price of an advance now in Australia? It's about five grand for, for a book is that you would get. And remember an advance is a sort of a, a, a gesture of goodwill, if you like, that once you're, if you get a book published, uh, you need to pay that advance back before you make any money. So the publishing house would take you know, take back that five grand through the sales and it's only after that's been repaid that you start making money. Uh, I think we've got time for one more question. I want to ask you, but there's a gentleman just at the back there. Yeah. So the question is uh, that Lee earlier had talked about, you know, actually really just putting your heart and soul into it and perhaps being, you know, very gutsy about that and that's something that the judges would be looking for, that, that sort of passion and that honesty and authentic voice more than they would be looking for supreme excellence in writing. Mm -hmm. Is that...? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for this question because this gives me the opportunity to clarify which I did not articulate very well. <laughs> no, I think polished prose is supremely important. But I think what happens a lot um, with people submitting manuscripts and different entries to competitions is that people focus, writers tend to focus much more on polishing the prose at the expense of thinking, is this story really needs to be told? And so you end up with a lot of submissions of books which or short stories or short memoirs which perhaps should not have been written at the beginning because there's no impetus, there's no urgency behind them. So uh, the, those entries who usually make the long list, um, short list and, and eventually win, they would all be really polished. That's what I was saying before, it's important to sort of even redraft and redraft even short around but they will also have this urgency. And, and they're honest, I like what you said about they're honest, uh, but, but see, Thinking of Jack Kerouac, you know, the king of rawness, he, his rawness is very polished. <laughs> that's the trick, I guess. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, sadly, that's all we've really got time for tonight. Uh, but I know that we will be sort of hanging around for a little longer if you want to come up and talk to us. Uh, to each and every one of you, thank you so much for coming out tonight. To the City Library, to the organisers, thank you for this opportunity to talk about something that we're very passionate about. A round of applause for the organiser right over there. 
to my fellow panel, thank you so much for coming. To all of you, I hope that you get home safely and I hope that we see you at the Melbourne Writers' Festival or the Emerging Writers' Festival or a readings event or an event at the Wheeler Centre. Uh, many of us are around often, to be honest, and uh, we look forward to seeing your faces there. Good night, everyone.